Would you um, pray with me as we go before God's throne? Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. I do ask you to bless your people. I ask that you will open up the ears and hearts of your people so they may hear a word from you. I pray that you will speak to their hearts, that you will form them and transform them into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. Most importantly, I pray that our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified. It is he who we worship. It is he who we praise. It is he who we give honor to. We are here because of him and what he has done on the cross. By his spirit, I pray that he will move us and compel us And by your spirit, Father, that you would draw us to him. Let him be glorified. I pray this in his name. In Jesus Christ. Amen. If you uh, will, can you please open your Bible to Psalms 100. Please open your Bible to Psalms 100. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible in the seat in front of you. If there's no pew Bible in the seat in front of you, please ask the ushers and they will give you one. I'm going to uh, read Psalms 100. From the ESV translation, please follow along in your Bible. It says, a psalms for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord for make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord He is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Let God add a blessing to the reading of his word you know psalms 100 is very simple to understand it is only five verses to read as you just notice it is the shortest psalm in the bible and one of the most memorable psalm this psalm has been written as a hymn. Many churches, especially uh, Presbyterian churches, sing psalm in their worship services. In fact, if you would grab a hymnal book and a pew uh, hymnal book right in front of you, and a seat in front of you, and turn to hymnal 39, you would notice that hymn 39 is titled, All People That On The Earth Do Dwell. You also realize that that particular hymnal that is titled, that title, is sung or based on Psalms 100. Furthermore, If you have ever attended a Reformed Presbyterian church, you may have sung Psalms 100 as a doxology. For example, the doxology is sung as follows. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. 
Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. That particular doxology is based on Psalms 100 and many other passages of the Bible. What I want you to do is take notice of the title of Psalms 100. If you are reading from the ESV, the NIV, or a different translation, you would notice that the title of Psalms 100 is written different from one translation to another. And the ESV, the translation that I'm reading from, is titled, A Psalm for Giving Thanks. And the NIV, Psalms 100, is titled, A Psalm for Giving Grateful Praise. This begs the question, which title is correct? Which title is correct? Well, they both are. They're both correct. In today's time, people separate their thankfulness from praising. That is, people demonstrate to God only appreciation when he has done something in their lives. This wasn't the case in the Bible times. When Israel gave thanks to God, it was an act of worship. Their thankfulness and worship was distinct, but yet synonymous to each other. Those two concepts went hand to hand. Psalms 100 is about giving thanks and praising God. And therefore, today's message is titled, Giving Thanks Through Worship. Giving Thanks Through Worship. I also want you to take notice of the structure of Psalms 100. It's only broken down into uh, parts. Verses 1 through 3 is acknowledging God for who he is. And verses 4 and 5 is worshiping God for who he is. Acknowledging for God for who he is, verses 1 through 3. And worshiping God for who he is, verses 4 and 5. I have three points to make about this particular psalms. These points take the form of commands in this psalm. Please notice the three commands within this psalm. The first command that we see is in verse 2. It would say, you would see the word serve. If you're reading from the NIV translation or a different translation, you may see the word worship instead of the word serve. The second command is in verse 3. We are commanded to know the Lord. The third command is in verse 4. Four, which is directing us to give thanks to the Lord. So you have those three commands. Serve, know, and give. Alistair Bed said it, described these three commands as such. This is something that you do, acknowledge, and respond Psalms 100 was written for public worship. The Israelites would have sung this psalm in their temple. In Jesus' day, they would have 
read this psalm in their synagogues. Have you ever noticed whenever you went to a sports uh, stadium of how loud someone was shouting or the sports fans were shouting? Have you ever noticed how loud the volume can get? All right. I'm sure if all the fans shouted in unison, you probably can hear them from miles away. We see this concept in the first several words. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. This is an ideal that that this particular verse paints for us, that people are publicly assembling together to shout, to make a joyful noise. They are coming together in unison to praise God. You know, the call to make a joyful praise is to be done with exuberance. Scripture says, shout joyfully to the Lord. This call, this praise, this, this invitation is to be done with excitement too. We see that in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. So you kind of get the idea that people are coming together. They are excited. They are ready to praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh. This is the idea. It shows that we shouldn't have a nonchalant attitude when it comes to praising God. The invitation, we also see that this particular invitation to worship God is not exclusively for Israel. If you take notice in the very first verse, it says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Everyone is invited to worship the Lord. He is not some type of tribal deity, a tribal God. He is not lo- only located in one particular zip code. He's located everywhere. He is God to Everyone, and he is God everywhere. This is what we see. This, in other words, this is a universal invitation to worship the God of the universe. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Psalms 47 verse 1 and 2 says, Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. Is You know, you get the the, the really under, to really understand this, this particular verse of Psalms 100, verse 1, picture everyone coming together to worship a king. It's like saying the, uh, the, the saying to a queen, yip, yip, hooray, yip, yip, hooray. It's similar to that, to that notion. Everybody is coming together and saying, shout. There's nothing wrong with shouting. 
especially when it's geared to God. It shouldn't be a strange shout, but it should be a shout that you are identifying the Lord, that you are identifying the king of the universe. You know, we are not the only ones who are shouting this morning. There are millions and millions of people who are shouting as of this moment. So you kind of get the, the, the idea of a grander scale of millions of people who believe in the Lord and they are shouting, making a joyful noise unto him. Thousands and thousands upon thousands of churches are in the presence of God, shouting, making a joyful noise. And because he is God for Israel, you know, Israel at that particular time used to publicly worship in the temple. Uh, The temple was destroyed in 567 B.C. when the Babylonians came. Uh, The temple was rebuilt during Herod the Great era, and it was destroyed again 70 A.D. after the Lord rose from the grave. But the ideal is that during the time that Israel was a nation, that they came to the temple to worship. They feared the Lord. They feared Yahweh. In fact, whenever a priest were to go into the most holy of holies, the, the inner temple where the separate the the tent was separated from the outer courts they used to tie a bell and a string to uh, the priest so when he when he go in there they would notice if the bell was ringing he was alive if he was if the bell wasn't ringing while he was walking he was dead i'm trying to paint a picture in your mind that when you Praise God, he ought to be reverence or revered. But when the temple was destroyed, 567 AD, I mean, BC, then uh, was rebuilt and destroyed again. Where is the temple now? There aren't any temple today. If you go to Israel, you would know, notice the Dome of the Rock is sitting on where the temple used to stand. What is the Dome of the Rock? It is a Muslim mosque. What I'm saying to you, beloved, is that since there's no temple, God has done something through the work of Jesus Christ where the temple is us. He dwells in us. So, since the temple, the physical temple is destroyed, God did a work within you to be a holy temple for him. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 is talking about. That the wall of partition was broken down so Jews and Gentiles can assemble together and worship as one body, as one holy temple. So when you look at this particular verse, shout and make a joyful noise unto the Lord, that shouting comes from within and is expressed outwardly to God. Does that make sense? You know, This is, as Psalms 
100 verse 1 is a twofold invitation. One, God deserves all praises from mankind. And two, he receives praises from his creation. One, God deserves all praises from mankind. And two, he receives praises from his creation. What do I mean by this? I think our Lord Jesus Christ said it best when the Pharisees tried to rebuke people from praising him. The Lord said in Luke chapter 19, verse 40, I tell you, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones will cry out. The Lord will receive his worship. He will receive his praise one way or another. This is why this verse is emphasized. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. I had I asked Donovan to read Psalms 95 for us because Psalms 95 and Psalms 100 says similar things. They have the same nuances in terms of worshiping the Lord and being created by Him. Very quickly, turn back to Psalms 95 and let's read the first seven verses. It says in Psalms 95, starting in verse 1, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. And in his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. So, If you read Psalms 95, the first seven verses, and compare them to Psalms 100, it says the same same thing. Almost the exact same thing, but using different words. Now, since I got the introduction or the prerequisite of this sermon done, let's talk about the first command. The first command is to serve. Serve the Lord. That's the word we see in verse 2. And again, if you reading from a different translation, you will see worship instead of the word serve. You know, the word serve conveys the ideal from the Hebrew that you're working as a slave. If you want to put it in the terms of the NIV, you're worshiping as a slave. This is what it means. That is, you are a slave of God. Being a slave for God demonstrates that he owns us. We see that. For he is God he made us. We read that in Psalms 95, and we see that here in Psalms 100. He owns us. And this is what happened when you cannot pay attention to your notes. Uh, Being a slave of God means that we should fear him 
as our master. We should fear him as our master. You know, in the New Testament, you really don't see any, anyone advocating to abolish slavery. The Roman Empire, during the time of Jesus, the population of slaves were around 80%, or 60 to 80%. And there was a concept within that. And that's why you don't see too much, or you don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says abolish slavery. For example, in Ephesians chapter uh, 6, verse 5, Paul says, Slaves, obey your earthly master with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Paul is comparing an earthly master to the heavenly master. In fact, even Paul called himself doulos, a bondservant, a slave of Christ. So when you read the word serve the Lord in Psalms 100 verse 2, you get the idea that we are servants of the Lord or slaves of God. You know, if Paul is saying you ought to fear your earthly master, how much more should you fear the master of everything? You know, in terms to, I want you to really understand this concept. Like any other slave, they are not free to do what they please. They are not free to go where they want to go. Especially in American history, you have the ideal of slavery with a negative connotation, which is true, and the same thing within the Roman Empire. Slaves weren't able to do anything without their master's permission. They feared their master. They served their masters. There were slaves who were educated or yeah, educated and was a slave to be an educator. There were slaves who were musicians in, in the Roman Empire. But at the same time, the concept still stands. And what I'm conveying to you is our relationship with the Lord of the universe. When we serve, we ought to serve with fear and trembling. Because of his nature, of who he is. This is... The ideal of coming into God's presence, again, when the, when the temple was constructed, they feared. They were in awe of their creator, of Yahweh, of the Bible, of God. Turn to Psalms chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. You will read the same Things, I think, in a different way. This is a prophetic song. It's specifically talking about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Psalms chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 10 through 12, it reads as follows. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. You see the idea? Serve the Lord. This is when Paul wrote, 13 of his letters, he had this concept in his mind that they and us were slaves of the Lord. So when we serve, we're being obedient to the Lord. We're serving. 
in, I don't want you to be, uh, to get the impression that I'm trying to be a Debbie Downer when I talk about slavery since it has so many negative connotations. But that is not the case. But this is what the texts render. This is what it is saying. So when you serve, you are being obedient as a slave, but you ought to do it with gladness. We see this concept in parenting. When you told your child to do something, they will have mumble under their breath, and I don't want to do this, and they weren't glad to do it in the first place. But since you are their parents, they did it. They have no choice. This is the ideal. But they did it with gladness. And maybe some of you may have said to your child or your children, uh, you better put a smile on your face when you do it. This is what it says in verse 2. You can turn back to Psalms 100, verse 2. It says, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. You know, the epitome of Sunday service worship is seen in verse 2. What we have done, uh, what we did minutes, uh, 30 minutes ago, we were worshiping. We served. We came in this building as one church to serve the Lord. And we did it with gladness. We came into his presence. When I say presence, when we come into his presence, I'm not talking about a physical building. This building can burn down tomorrow, but the church will still stand because the church is the body of Christ. It is us. That was me. So when we come together, the Lord is in our midst. So what we have, what we did in verse um, previously is what we see in verse two. So serving is being obedient like a slave. We do it with gladness, and I can go on for. A little bit, just to flush it out just a little bit more. Although scripture portrays us like slaves, as slaves, we still do what we want to do. When the Lord guides us to do what he has commanded us to do, we rebel against that option or that guidance. It's just like a slave. If a slave is caught disobeying his master, the Lord, I mean, that master disciplines that slave. And this is, like, for example, in Exodus um, chapter 20, verse 18 through 20, this is when Israel's, uh, the Israelites came from Egypt and they stopped at Mount Sinai. And as they are stopping, when they came into the presence of the Lord, they noticed the holiness of God. They noticed the righteousness of God. And they were fearful of God. So when we serve, we are serving with what? Fear and trembling. I want you to take notice of what Exodus chapter Uh, 20 verses 18 through 20 says, this is the contest is when the Israelite was at Mount Sinai. It says, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashing of the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off from the mountain. And said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. 
Do you understand? Do you understand the concept of how we are to serve him? The awful reverence of God. Help us not to fear, I mean, help us not to sin against him. We have, (laughs) to break it down a little bit more, you two was once a child. You feared your mom or dad. Your mom or dad would have slapped you silly if you would have disobeyed him or her. That was a righteous fear. It helped you not to be disobedient towards your parents. So when we read Psalms 100, verse 2, and it says, Serve the Lord, we're saying, is actually saying, Fear the Lord as a slave. Fear him so that you may not sin. Amen? Amen. Therefore, we all, we ought to come together or when we are alone by ourselves, we ought to display a holy reverence and servitude for the Lord. And this servitude extends to every area of our lives. And I can prove to you how obedient you and I really are by the fact of how we act and respond to each other and what we do when we at work. For example, how much do you fear the Lord should extend extend to every area of your life like such? So if you're at work and you're doing something that you shouldn't do, that means that you don't fear the Lord goes for you being a spouse, being a husband, being a, uh, a child. It's your understanding of who God is help you to dictate how you will behave. In other words, your theology dictates your behavior. And the very fact that we have Little to no fear of God shows how much we reverence the Lord. So service to the Lord demands our very lives. And this is the reason why we are to serve. In Psalms 100, as I said, it says, Serve the Lord with gladness out of our adoration for the Lord. Be voluntarily serve him because he is God. So be mindful, beloved. Be mindful. When you serve the Lord, your service towards the Lord is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. And just because we are believers, we do it voluntarily. We willingly serve because of who God is and what he has done through the work of Christ that gave us a new spirit, a new heart to serve him willingly. So we have that awful fear of fearing God because he is God, but at the same time we have gladness. So serving the Lord goes hand to hand. And I have to add, I have to say this, if you do not, if you come to in the presence of God, and pretend as if you're serving him without truly worshiping who he is, that is a dead religion. Your religion, your faith is dead. Because service and obedience and worship are distinct but yet synonymous. They're all equal to one another. 
the Lord said it best. When the temple was constructed during Jesus' ministry, the Lord said to the Pharisees, you look into the scriptures so that you may seek eternal life. You look into the scriptures so that you may seek eternal life. The Pharisees didn't have a clue that the eternal life, the only life-giving one, was in front of them. Judaism is a dead religion. You can read all the scriptures that you want, but without truly worshiping and serving the Lord in truth and spirit, it's a dead religion. Let's talk about the second command. The second command we see in verse 3. Know that the Lord, know the Lord. That is the second command. It specifically says, know that the Lord, he is God. You know, we run across this particular word all the time when, you, when we read Scripture. And we flippantly just read it without really sitting back and chewing and meditating on what it is saying to us. For example, it says repeatedly throughout Scripture that this command is used. The same verbiage of knowing the Lord is used in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9, 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 6, throughout the book of Ezekiel. It says, know that I am the Lord. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 24, it says, know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 4 says, know the Lord of the, know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 9 says, know. Know then in your heart that the Lord, your God, disciplines you. Know the Lord. It is a command. You know, over this weekend, my wife and I, we went to uh, the movie theaters, and I knew she wanted, I knew she wanted to go. Because we don't spend as much time as we should as a married couple. Uh, and we went to the movie theater. And that's how I was just contemplating on, on how much time I waste. Of how much time I waste and the time that I waste of not getting to know the Lord. We are, uh, excuse me, we are. Uh, when I was sitting in the movie theaters, I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm actually enjoying myself of watching this latest movie. But in the back of my mind, I'm saying to myself, this time could be used to know the Lord. I enjoyed spending time with my wife. But this is, but knowing the Lord It's just that it is taking the time out of your daily lives and getting to know who God is. Because knowing who he is, the person of Christ not only prevents you from sinning against him, but also encourages you to worship him. Know the Lord. You know, let me use this example to flesh out this concept. If LeBron James would have walked in here, everybody would probably get, us, get excited, if, especially if you're a basketball fan. Everybody in Akron knows who LeBron James is. In fact, we probably start 
after the service, we probably walk out and say, LeBron James came to our church service. As if LeBron James is important. But if you take LeBron James and take him to a third world country, they don't even know who he is. But we would say, you don't know who this is? If you knew who this person is, we would get his order, you would get his autograph. How much more should we know the Lord? That he is God. You know, we get all giddy inside it when we see celebrities. How much more should we know the Lord? How many people want, uh, want the Lord's autograph? Furthermore, knowing the Lord, keep our focus on him. I want you to pay attention to Psalms 100 because... Look at the um, masculine pronouns that is in Psalms 100. Just about every word starts with his. Look at Psalms 100 very quickly. It says, um, look at verse 3. Know the Lord that he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Do you see how the summons of this passage overemphasize, overemphasize, Getting to know the Lord. Use masculine pronouns. And that is very important for us to know because when we take our focus off of God, that is when we start to slip. The main purpose that you are here is not to just hear the message. The main purpose for you is to get to know the Lord. Have your focus upon him. We do this all the time, right? Sometimes we don't feel like getting up. Sometimes we don't feel like going to work. Sometimes we don't feel like serving one another. But if our focus is upon the Lord, then we ought to serve like obedient slaves with fear and trembling and come to each other with gladness because our focus is on here. You see how they are all connected? Serving Knowing, does it, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this, but me too, I, sometimes I don't feel like being here. You may say, oh, he's a pastor. Well, I am human too. But if my focus is on the glory of God, more specifically on the glory of Christ, I am compelled to know him I am convicted to know him you know I'm really running out of time but you know as you see in verse 3 it says know the Lord he is God it is he who made us and we are his you know scripture portrays God as a Wonderful potter making and molding clay. He is the potter. And he can form us and shape us in whatever form that he desires to, uh, to be. The wonderful working 
workings of the potter. Now, this is what uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 20. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to his molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another vessel for dishonorable use? God does whatever he pleases, and you and I cannot stop him. If you want to prove to an atheist that God is this, point them to Psalms 100, verse 3. Tell the atheist that you were created. You know, I have a very dear loved one, and... This person told me that he believes that he is a God. Emphasis on the vow, A. And I, was, I didn't have the chance to share with him that gods are not created. A true God is not created. Every other false God that we know of were created. But this is what we see. That God of the universe is the potter, and he has created everything that we know is this. That means he has rights over his creation. In fact, he doesn't even need us. He is a self-sufficient God. And just because of his nature, he was compelled out of the extension of his love to create things. His love and his holiness cannot be contained because that is the essence of who he is. We are nothing but clay. And beloved, we will turn, this flesh, this body will turn back into clay. From the dust that you were created, from the dust you will return. Lastly, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks. We see that in verse 4, the latter part of verse 4, give thanks to him, bless his name. You know, I'm sure that some of you were expecting a typical Thanksgiving Sunday service message because it's a holiday coming up. And I hope that's not the case. And the reason I say that is because if you are not grasping the under, uh, in grasping this particular passage, you miss what it is saying to you. You're not understanding what God is commanding us. What I, you know, so in other words, we, when we talk about giving thanks, it stems from verses 2 and 3 and on downward. The very act of giving thanks is an act of worship. That is how we give thanks to the Lord. That is how we bless his name because when people look upon your life, and see you worshiping and serving the Lord, they have to wonder what has become of you. Why are you giving thanks? Why are you blessing his name? You know, if you flip this concept on his head and you compare yourself with all the privileges that you have, to another person who may not have a home, a car, 
a job, who may have lost their spouse, who may have no food to eat, a person who has nothing, what are they going to give thanks for? That is the whole idea of this particular passage. Why would they think I give thanks for something they do not have? What are they going to say? Thank you for no food to eat? While we're sending you across our tables with our families saying, Thank you, Lord. And that is why I say you are missing the point. Because that person who has nothing but has but have God can give thanks because of who he is. And we see that in this particular passage. When it says give thanks, the latter part says because the because God is good. For the Lord is good. You see that in verse 4 and 5? It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and in his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. Do you understand now? So if a person who has nothing can still give thanks because of who God is. Despite whatever going on in that person's life, despite the hardship, that person can still give thanks because of the character and nature of a holy and righteous God. That is the point of giving thanks. So if you say, again, this is not a typical thanks to give a message, then good. But at the same time, I want you to realize that giving thanks has nothing to do with what we own or possess. I can lose my wife tomorrow, but I am still compelled to give thanks to the Lord, to my Creator, because, because of who He is and His nature, I can give thanks. Because my circumstances change doesn't mean that God's nature changes. So if you want a really and truly understanding Thanksgiving message, understand this passage. So when you come, when you go to your homes and all the possessions that you have, worship. Don't give thanks, but worship. That is the meaning of giving thanks. In the beginning of this sermon, I told you people separate their their thanksgiving and turn it into a form of appreciation of what they have. But not, but the Israelites didn't do that. They worship. Another person who is a prime example of giving thanks despite whatever went on in his life, despite the fact that his kids were murdered, despite that his home was burned down, was Job. His wife even told him, curse God and die. And Job specifically says, should we praise God for only the good and not for the evil? So if you really want to have a Thanksgiving message, if you really want to give thanks, then worship. So when you eat that fat piece of turkey, worship. Don't give thanks. Worship. Because if you compare yourself to the next person who has nothing, and he, if that person believes in God, he or she is going to worship So to sum it all up, in order to give thanks, we're giving our thanks through worship. We ought to serve, to know, and give. And out of all, out of 
those three commands transformed us into worshipers. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I do ask you that you will continue to speak to us, that we will continue to worship you. I pray um, as we prepare for the next event in this service that we will worship you. I pray as we leave this building, we will worship you, that we will be continuing.